Hello commentary fans, this is Mike again and I am back with the next commentary in our Halloween extravaganza. <laughs> uh, we're going to be doing another Frankenstein film, but it's not a universal Frankenstein film. I imagine that some of the hardcore horror fans that have watched my channel have been wondering when I would venture into Hammer, and well, we're gonna try today to do a Hammer horror film. Um, the Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, which probably is a surprising choice. I know a lot of people regard it as the worst in the Hammer Frankenstein series, and um, well, it's my personal favorite, so say what you will. And uh, we're going to explore Hammer today in this film, and uh, it's brilliant leading man Peter Cushing and his brilliant interpretation of the Frankenstein character. We're going to start the film in three, two, and one. This marks the last Hammer horror film, and so it's sort of a surprising place to really begin, but I think this one really sort of encapsulates Hammer pretty well. And, uh, you know, you might almost say that it's sort of a eulogy and a declaration of sort of what Hammer did so well. Here we have the title, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, which is quite a mouthful, and, you know, it sort of sounds goofy, but really it looks great on the poster and has a lot of marquee value, to be sure. Uh, we begin the film in a big, musky graveyard with the little uh, drunkard there who's... Uh, digging up graves to supply body parts to Dr. Elder so he can get his money to buy his uh, schnapps. <laughs> and that's uh, one thing Hammer usually did pretty well. They always had a sort of a character like this who's um, sort of a drunkard or, you know, vagabond and they're always fun. They always play it pretty well. Uh, this, um, I like the beginning of the film a lot, actually, and just, you know, opening that casket, seeing the uh, body paint with his face painted dead white really uh, shows you sort of what Hammer did with the Frankenstein series that really hadn't been done prior to this in the Universal films, was that it really, I don't know, Hammer was theatrical and sort of exploitative, but they did take their horror very seriously, and I think why Frankenstein was sort of a perfect property for them is that uh, they really sort of went into the aesthetics of the story. And that's something about uh, these uh, later Hammer horror films that uh, I actually like a lot in comparison to the original ones is that by this point in time there's an MPA rating system and they can pretty much do an awful lot uh, in terms of gore and horrible aesthetics and that's sort of one of the uh, criticisms that uh, this film in particular gets is that 
Uh, some people think that it focuses way too much on that aspect of the story. And, um, I don't know. I can certainly see that point of view, but I think it's kind of neat. I think this really, uh, film serves as sort of a transitionary horror film between the era of gothic horror that Universal started and Hammer revived and the era of horror that's pretty much that we're still in. That's really about sort of the gore and aesthetics. And I think this one uh, is creative in some of the stuff it does. Uh, and it's definitely, you know, you could almost say that Hammer uh, really started the modern horror film because a lot of it uh, is about um, the showing what could only be hinted at before. And by this point, things, at this point, I think it's pretty interesting because they could pretty much show whatever they wanted. <laughs> um, Hammer uh, really, I think, was a cultural sort of mo moment in horror films and just really in pop culture entertainment, too. You know, uh, it's perfect that it came out of Great Britain and the first Hammer horror films and the ones that um, really started Hammer. Uh, Quatermass Experiment, The Curse of Frankenstein, and Dracula, which uh, became Horror of Dracula in the States. I think really uh, were perfect examples of films that uh, challenged societies and culture. Um, they're just looking back and reading about Hammer in the beginning. They're uh, original films that uh, came out when they had to be, you know, turned into the British censor board, which was the strictest and harshest in the world. And they're all really just a bunch of prudes. And just some of the notes that they had were so terrifically entertaining to read. And, you know, that's one of the fun things about Hammer Films is that you can imagine what these movies were in, uh, in terms of the, how they challenged society. And yet they were, I mean, they were, it's kind of, you can argue if they're traditional exploitation films or not, but because uh, they definitely still really... Uh, the Frankenstein series, I think, maybe less so the Dracula ones, uh, really dealt with uh, characters, too. Like they're really well-developed characters. And, uh, of course, they were very fortunate in the fact that they have uh, some great casts and great leading anchors in these films. You couldn't ask for a better horror star than Peter Cushing. He really sells not only this film, but any Hammer film he's in. And, uh, you know, Christopher Lee and the Dracula films, but the Frankenstein story, the Frankenstein films are a lot more interesting than the Dracula films, in my humble opinion. Here's a great little uh, side gag we have with the little cop looking around at this. Uh, 
uh, laboratory here at Dr. Helber's laboratory that he set up. Um, he's played by Shane Bryan, Dr. Helber, and he's sort of the uh, last attempt that Hammer had at setting up a new leading man. They had tried before with Ralph Bates, who I think is uh, a pretty terrific actor, and he was in, he actually did play Dr. Frankenstein. Well, when he didn't work out, this was Hammer's last attempt to go younger. And he's a really intriguing character that we get into as the film progresses, but he definitely, um, well, I think he's a great assistant to Dr. Frankenstein is that he's sort of in the middle, you know, he's not this boring, uh, straight moral compass between good and evil. Oh, here's a great little side gag. The eyeball comes and stares at him. And, you know, uh, that's part of the charm. Uh, you know, um, I like uh, the original Hammer films, you know, just as much as anybody. But in some ways, I sort of uh, prefer the later ones from the late 60s and 70s. You know, they were allowed to really... Uh, go out, all out, uh, and um, go for the violence and gore and the sex, you know, that can only sort of be hinted at before. And, you know, I, I guess that sort of goes against conventional wisdom because usually horror films, I think, are a little bit more interesting when they're not gratuitous, but it's just kind of... Um, they're sort of fun and thematically schizophrenic in some ways. And I think this film is really great at it, and so is uh, Satanic Rites of Dracula. I, I mean, I'm probably not a great uh, guy to go to in terms of having a conventional discussion about Hammer films, because I really like Hammer when it stretches out and sort of becomes outrageous. Here we have uh, Dr. Helder. He's um, being put on trial for his sorcery and trying to stitch a new man back together. And, uh, you know, as I was saying earlier about how this film is sort of a, sort of a eulogy for Hammer and sort of dissecting what it had done, or what it had done over the course of its history. And I think this really is a perfect example of, uh, in the character of Simon Helder, is a perfect uh, metaphor for Henry of this young man who's sort of, you know, you could almost say he's a representative of the flower power, you know, the sort of younger British society, younger society, and he's being imposed upon by these conservative rules. And uh, this idea of following Dr. Frankenstein's work is sort of a um, sort of a act of rebellion. Another great uh, Hammer horror film, uh, which I'd recommend as sort of a companion piece to this one, if you're at all interested, is *Taste the Blood of Dracula*. It's a lot of fun. It's got sort of a similar theme in terms of that. Uh, it's about these old uh, lechers, you know, you could definitely see them as a judge there. You know, they put on this mask of being productive members of society and Christians and charitable men. And by night they engage in orgies and they resurrect Dracula. 
and Dracula, instead of just going after them, he uses their children uh, to claim his revenge, sort of. It's a lot of fun. We just saw a pretty fake-looking uh, model of the uh, insane asylum there. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. Like, that's just pure uh, movie magic. <laughs> Here we have uh, the introduction of uh, the Insane Asylum, and it's always sort of a uh, popular uh, setting in some ways for these uh, gothic horror films. You know, of course, the original Dracula with uh, Lugosi uh, took place in, in a sanitarium. But I, what I like about this film, and it's definitely uh, sort of got that hammer touch, is that it really plays up the horrible aesthetics of everything here. Um, when we enter in this asylum, they really, really go far out. You know, you hear the moans, and these extras are all muttering to themselves uh, pretty horrifically. And, uh, you know, it just has fun with it. Director Adolf Klaus, who uh, really, um, you know, in a... Uh, in uh, all of these uh, Hammer films, there's usually a character like this uh, fellow right here who is sort of, like I was saying, uh, sort of uh, older sort of character who's uh, sort of, you know, got a little bit more and a uh, little bit more to him meets the eye. He's in there uh, looking at his... Uh, uh, pornographic drawings. <laughs> and he's sort of a squirrely little guy. He goes all out, and it's really just, I don't know, it's overacting. And, uh, you know, that's one thing about uh, the Hammer films is that, you know, there's always someone who overacts in them. But uh, they always have fun, and there's, you know, there's always a sincerity, I think. Um, two of the Hammer films that I, uh, you know, it's, I don't know if it's quantifiable or it's just sort of my interpretation of things, but even the characters that go uh, fall out, all out like this guy, he's sort of goofy, he's fun to watch, and, you know, at least he seems honest in what he does here. And really, you know, this character is sort of the only uh, villain of the film. <laughs> but he's good uh, comedic uh, relief. <laughs> Here we see that he... Uh, uh, this is a good scene how they stage you don't uh, the guy doesn't realize he's uh, uh, Dr. Klaus doesn't realize he's one of the patients and you know the, we got some good acting from uh, Shane Bryant there in the way he wears himself you know it doesn't seem unnatural but he's uh, handcuffed and uh, 
that's one thing I like about the character is that uh, he really, uh, this Dr. Klaus character, he really goes between one aspect of the character to another, you know. He's obviously behind that door, he's sort of exploiting his position and, you know, he's a pervert, they imply that he goes uh, uh, molesting his patients behind the closed doors and then when he gets angry and tries to show his um, sort of power of the situation, he looks even goofier than he did before. It's played by uh, John Strett there and he's a fun character. There's some good interaction later in the film between him and uh, Peter Cushing's Baron Frankenstein. Here we have uh, the first uh, showcase of the lunatics. And uh, they really, really look horrible. That's one thing about uh, this film. They really, they really sort of go all out with it. Like, I love the costumes in this film. That's one thing Hammer uh, really uh, did well. Like, these things sort of feel like uh, costume dramas in some way. They really sort of, I don't know if you could say they look historically accurate. Not really, but they sort of remind me of a play from this time that just sort of feels generically 19th century. And uh, this is a terrible, horribly painful moment, but uh, it uh, really just sort of showcases the cruelty of the scenario. There's a uh, wedding doctor uh, held it down there with a uh, fire hose, which is so painful, and then uh, you know, all these uh, patients who have been neglected are just sort of laughing at it. And over there in the crowd, we're introduced to Madeline Smith, who plays the angel Sarah, who uh, will be introduced later in the film. But she is very good in the film, despite the fact that... Uh, she doesn't have any dialogue. They introduce her as a mute character. And, um, it really uh, is it's an interesting performance because her face, uh, there's not a lot of expression on it. She's just sort of there. And so, you know, they could have conceivably given it to any actor, but she wears herself really well. This is probably my all-time favorite uh, moment in the film, is Peter Cushing's uh, introduction. You know, his uh, presence is felt even before he uh, enters the scene. You see them engaging uh, in that torturing uh, Dr. Helder there. And then before Cushing can even enter the scene, you feel they stage it really well and you feel his presence. Everyone sort of, you know, the lunatics, they start cackling. And then uh, later you see, uh, uh, um, before that big musical motif, you know, that punctuates everything, you see the look on the face of that uh, torturer there, the little assistant, assistant Franz. What the devil? 
Yura Cushing enters the uh, office there. And um, this film starts off, I like that it says engaged, and you know, he's uh, with the uh, woman there. <laughs> this sort of dark humor, you know, that hammer did pretty well. One of the things um, that's sort of interesting in how they start this film, I mean, by this point in the film, and the like, this has been a, a series there. This has been a series by this point. You know pretty well what Baron Frankenstein is. You know, he's uh, deeply ambitious. He's cold. He's cool. I mean, he's sort of, you know... Um, goes into anything uh, anything uh, I mean he's capable of anything to get his uh, um, experiments done and he obviously he's killed people by this point and uh, he's done horrible things and by this point here it's kind of interesting to see him because he starts off as uh, sort of uh, the good guy it really does it uh, pretty well to set up uh, this environment here, you know, that this mental asylum with this uh, Adolf Claus character who's uh, so depraved and those cruel guards and, you know, those patients obviously they look uh, terrible and they laugh and are cruel and so um Frankenstein, Baron Frankenstein, almost seems like uh, the good guy in this. Yeah, here's a good, uh, what I was saying here about this character and how he's sort of two-faced, how he, uh, you know, quickly puts on this, uh, this uh, face that he's in charge, and you know, as soon as he leaves, he sort of, uh, um, his eyes sort of go back to normal, and he's trying to quickly uh, uh, give uh, Dr. Frankenstein a brandy to get him off his uh, case. But, um, that's one of the fun things about uh, the, uh, this film. The later Hammer uh, films were trying to uh, sort of revamp uh, the characters on this one. It sort of is unique in that it really is going back to the roots. Um, the horror of Frankenstein was the one preceding this, and it really tried to uh, uh, redo the whole thing. Um, Cushing was not in that film. They uh, casted Ralph Bates in the part. Um, and he's a good Dr. Frankenstein. He's stern like Cushing, and that film's a little bit more of a comedy.
but uh, this one they came back and uh, you know in comparison to the other ones like the Dracula series had sort of lost all their consistency and they had moved it up to the 70s with Dracula AD 1972 and Satanic Rites of Dracula and this one's you know sort of a old-fashioned hammer horror film You know, uh, Peter Cushing, around this time, his wife had uh, passed away, and, uh, you know, he sort of stepped back into these films as a, uh, I guess you could call it a therapeutic exercise to go back to uh, the things he had felt comfortable with, and that's one thing about Peter Cushing is, from what I've heard, he really loved appearing in these horror films. Christopher Lee, you know, famously uh, claims that he turned down the role of Dracula seven times and through, you know, intimidation, Hammer sort of got him to uh, play uh, Dracula again and again, but Cushing loved the part from what I've heard, and uh, he would really get into the characters. Uh, famously, I've heard stories that he would read about uh, brain surgery and, you know, try to get into it, you know, because he would say, you know, if there's one brain surgeon in the audience that doesn't buy the scenario, then they failed at everything. But, um, this, uh, return to Hammer, uh, I think they're interesting to look at from what you've seen. He's noticeably, uh, frailer in this film. He looks a little, um, sickly in some ways, thinner, and uh, this, you know, famously he's not wearing his real hair, he's got this uh, uh, goofy wig on his head that looks so over the top, <laughs> um, you know, all this you could say could have been ch uh, challenges against uh, Cushing, you know, the fact that he really wasn't up to the part emotionally or physically, and that, you know, some would claim that this is the worst Hammer film he ever did in terms of, you know, the goofy things he's asked to do. Um, that's something I really admire about this film, and, you know, the other two Dracula films, AD 72, and, uh, um, Satanic Rites of Dracula is that Cushing doesn't miss a beat and in some ways I uh, admire them more because you know Cushing um, he's just as sincere in these films as he is in the original uh, films in the series, which are the classics. He really, uh, there's never any moments of tongue-in-cheekiness, in a way. You know, I don't think you would ever see Peter Cushing uh, play a horror role for a laugh. There's never a moment where, uh, I mean, there is obviously uh, moments of uh, black humor in these films, which are all very good. 
and Cushing's great at delivering it, but they're never, uh, they're never, um, at the expense of this character, and the character is always in control of his surroundings and of his humor. And that's really, really admirable and sort of impressive, really, because, you know, uh, even the best horror icons, you know, Karloff, Lugosi, uh, Lon Chaney Jr., they all were sort of forced by the end to, uh, to, um, sort of, I don't know if you'd call Abner Costello blasphemy to make it fun of their characters, but, uh, definitely to sort of, uh, embrace absurdity. And, uh, you never see Peter Cushing do that. And this, uh, you know, this being his last, uh, major, uh, horror film, Frankenstein the Monster from Hell, the amount of dignity and class that Cushing has, especially, you know, he hasn't changed a whole lot from the original Curse of Frankenstein. And, um, you know, that's commendable. <laughs> this guy is so entertaining, this uh, Adolf Klaus. He's got that little thing of... Uh, after shave, <laughs> and he gets caught there. <laughs> uh, their um relationship is really, really uh, interesting. You know, you see, uh, they sort of hint at how uh, Frankenstein got sentenced to this asylum and eventually was able to um blackmail himself to the point where he's effectively running everything and uh, you know you don't need uh, the exposition you just need the performances of these uh, two actors to really go into it you know with how uh, calm and collected and confident you know Peter Cushing is with how you know squirrely and wild that uh, Adolf Klaus, John Stratton character. <laughs> Here we are introduced uh, to the uh, various patients. Here at Miller, he thinks himself to be God. He's not the first to suffer from that delusion, and I don't expect he'll be the last. It's a great line, and it's, you know, a perfect line for uh, this uh, character to uh, have. God is always in perfect health, of course. But how was he Mueller? <laughs> One thing you'll notice... Uh, about uh, the Hammer uh, films is that, you know, they are sort of uh, confined here, and it's really all about uh, the acting, I think. And, you know, some would claim it's sort of about uh, the sex they can get in there, too, but um, 
I think, uh, you know, you're in the hands of Terrence Fisher, who I haven't discussed uh, quite yet, but he's um, the director of, I think, every one of these Frankenstein uh, pictures, except Evil of Frankenstein, which really suffers from him not being involved in it, and uh, The Horror of Frankenstein, which Jimmy Sangster directed, who... Um, he was sort of the screenwriter behind the first few Frankenstein films, and he was really the one responsible for all the sort of sardonic wit in them. Uh, but he directed the Ralph Bates uh, picture, and this is the return of, uh, of uh, Terrence Fisher to the part. And he um, really great horror director responsible for, I think, um, you know, if uh, Peter Cushing is the acting uh, legend of Hamlet and Terrence Fitcher is the director. And there's some great imagery in this film that they stage the shots really well. I really like these sequences here and these uh, little cells, how they do that. And this is a great shot. You know, you see those bent uh, bars or Herr Schneider, who uh, we're going to be introduced to later in this film. Uh, you see them, uh, you see that the stage there, and it's sort of claustrophobic feeling, you know, it really plays into uh, the idea of this setting of this madhouse. It's fascinated by broken glass, he likes stabbing people in the face with it. <laughs> Let him rest in peace. Uh, here's, a, here's another thing that I think people can uh, really uh, learn from Cushing. It's just like, you know, not just from horror films, but uh, really uh, anything like that. You know, obviously, uh, what they're sort of leading up to is that. Uh, Frankenstein, you know, he's not, uh, he's not, um, done with his work, and so, uh, some of the lines in, earlier in the picture are about, you know, foreshadowing, and I guess, um, you could traditionally call that, a link at the camera, but, um, Cushing isn't over the top with it. And it feels witty, but it's not, um, it's not insulting to the audience's intelligence, and it's not just, uh, fan service, you know, uh, Cushing, I think, found a way to really, um, do it as an expression of this character, and even by uh, this point in the series, you know, Cushing is very comfortable as Baron Frankenstein. I think it's really, really uh, impressive the way he delivers, you know, that sort of thing. Like, he plays uh, Baron Frankenstein as sort of this uh, alien in a way, you know. He's so disconnected from humanity, you know, obviously everyone's expendable in, um, in comparison to his, uh, uh, in comparison to his work, and, um, uh, 
you know, it, um, it's uh, not quite as uh, theatrical in that sense, or overly theatrical. Thank you. There we have the one scene with Professor Durandell, who the poor guy really uh, suffers pretty terrible fate in the film. Uh, I really like uh, sort of, you know, also the theme with the insane asylum, you know, the fact that it goes into who is sane and who is not. And, uh, you know, um, that's always sort of an interesting trope in horror films. Um, Freaks uh, sort of did that as well, which we'll probably do a commentary on. I keep promising that probably several, I've promised a commentary of Freaks several times. But, you know, uh, the idea of, you know, um, these patients that are troubled and uh, studied by these doctors, and ironically, that they're uh, sort of. Uh, I don't know, you know, they're not sane, per se, but they're more honest with the world and they don't wear the false faces that the other characters do. And, you know, um, Dr. Frankenstein, uh, Baron Frankenstein, as he's called in these series, is so intelligent, but, um, you know, when comparing him to the lunatics, he's more of a danger than any of them. And, uh, you know, by the course of the film, they really, I think they bring that sort of thing to a satisfactory uh, conclusion. Here we have Madeline Smith again, and going into what I was saying earlier about her uh, character. Um, I, I buy it. I really do, uh, and I like uh, sort of the um, restraint that uh, the show with this character, you know, Hammer, obviously a lot of um, the leading Hammer ladies are chosen for their uh, sex appeal, and Madeline Smith is certainly very beautiful, but she's very uh, talented and uh, an actress. And she, um, the way she handles that uh, little sculpture there is pretty uh, touching. And I like the way that they built up her character. Um, the lunatics all sort of see her as their salvation. You know, they all want to protect her. And um, one of the things about uh, the Madeline uh, Smith character or just um, in comparison to the other Hammer leading ladies is that, uh, you know, um, Hammer did do a lot of exploitive things in terms of sex, was concerned. And, uh, you know, and, uh, with the other uh, pictures, especially around this time, uh, Dracula in AD 1972, and uh, Satanic Rites of Dracula, which, you know, I, I know I've compared the two series a lot, but they sort of are 
uh, congruent to one another and uh, very much um, interesting to compare in terms of what they do with the main characters. But uh, the Dracula series, you know, maybe it's because Dracula uh, uh, went into um, sex more often and as part of the vampire character, but they did do a lot of gratuitous nudity. And so, you know, I think the temptation could have been there for Hamburg to uh, um, go into uh, that with a character in this Frankenstein film. And they don't. You have uh, the Madden Smith character who's just very kind and um, very, uh, you know, uh, a bright spot in this dark and bleak world. And uh, that's all she is, and she's great. It's a great female character, and uh, you know you really uh, identify with her because of that. You uh, don't want her exposed to the horrors of all this. This is a great shot, uh, and it is sort of a grisly moment. The casket opens because the lunatics are. Uh, can't handle being pallbearers, and then you see uh, quickly that the hands are gone from that uh, master craftsman, and uh, uh, Cushion quickly puts the lid back on the casket before anyone could see. And I like uh, Dr. Helder's reaction to it. He's remembering, um, you know, the line that, could you believe that masterwork could come from those hands? Uh, and, uh, you know, like in some of the other ones, uh, uh, the other films, uh, you know, especially the original Curse of Frankenstein, which a lot of people still consider to be the best, you know, as soon as uh, Frankenstein's uh, helper uh, discovers everything, they sort of just get appalled. And Dr. Helder, uh, Shane Bryant, was really great in that scene. It's a little brief moment. He just sort of has a smile on his face, you know. Uh, and that's why I think that this is, the character is good and this film is good because uh, this character sort of starts off, um, you know, they, he does come to a moment later in the film where he sort of questions the ethics of Dr. Frankenstein, but he starts off like so impressed and almost like Frankenstein originally was, where even he um, gets to the point where, uh, um, He's willing to uh, um, go about with ethics a little bit. And uh, if the experiment needs a piece to succeed, then, you know, maybe Dr. Halbert can be convinced, unlike some of the other characters in this Frankenstein series. And it's interesting, because I think, like, having a character like Dr. Helber really strengthens the Baron, too. Because, you know, uh, well, the Baron sort of, uh, has always been on his own and, you know, be deprived of humanity. And I think it gets a, uh, plays a little more of the nuances having someone similar to himself in the picture.
Here we have uh, the introduction of the Baron's uh, secret laboratory, and it's behind that great uh, painting of uh, it's almost like a Renaissance painting of the muscular system. Reminds you of Da Vinci. It's a great little prop setting. And uh, uh, Simon is going to uh, discover the monster. And here, I think, um, well, it's certainly indicate, indicating why uh, the Hammer Frankenstein uh, series was different from Universal's. And Hammer, I think, you know, even though the series wasn't consistently as good as Universal's, um, they had a better idea for how to turn the Frankenstein idea into a series. Um, their focus was on the Baron always, or Universal really just made films about uh, the monster. And so um, we're about 45 minutes of the film, and uh, we still haven't uh, seen the monster yet. But, you know, I almost uh, don't miss it all that much. Just because um, Peter Cushing is so fascinating as that Baron, and it really uh, speaks to his uh, talents. Because you know, I mean, uh, I guess this might sound like an attraction, but it's not really. Because uh, I think just you know, Terrence Fisher's direction, Peter Cushing's acting—you know—not a lot has really uh, happened in this movie so far. Uh, it's really just been a lot of exposition, you know, Peter Cushing sort of showing around, um, Simon Helder around the hospital, and, you know, there's been some brief hints that something uh, more uh, sinister might be at play, but, um, uh, you know, not a lot's happened, really, but, you know, it doesn't feel like it. Because Cushing, you know, he's just so entertaining and he's so into the character. And, you know, uh, it just makes this uh, sequence all the more interesting in that you finally see uh, the build-up um, from Cushing has finally led us to the monster. And it's just all the more fascinating. And uh, this is the closest to... Uh, the movie comes to a scare because really, uh, by this point in the series, there's not really a lot to scares. It's really just enjoying uh, uh, cushion. But uh, they uh, set this up really well, and then you think he's going to uh, um, open that little uh, canvas over the cage, and you know, it's sort of symbolic. Uh, and sort of symbolic that uh, the payoff isn't uh, the monster, it's uh, Cushing walking in. And you just realize uh, that uh, he is the true horror icon of the series. He is the icon and not the monster. And, uh, you know, it's. You know, I don't usually think it's a good idea to frame a series, but if you were to, say, uh, go into the Frankenstein series, 
or you know, go into the Frankenstein mythos with the intent of building a series of several films or stories. It's better to uh, go into the Doctor, I think, because it really uh, uh, showcases uh, more original ideas. Because you know, he's a Doctor and he can uh, do more experiments and build more monsters, and it just you know allows for newer things to happen and that's generally what Hammer did. They uh, allowed the Peter Cushing monster to uh, do new things and new experiments and spins on things. Um, a really interesting film is Frankenstein Created Women because in that one Frankenstein engages in uh, metaphysics with his electricity and stuff and you know it's really just sort of about the monster or I mean not about the monster, it's about uh, just sort of the, how Cushing frames is that experiment. Here we have, um, we just, I mean, I'm just having so much fun exploring Cushing that I almost uh, completely went over the introduction of the monster there. And um, I don't know, like, this monster He's really, uh, really out there. In fact, he probably looks more like a gorilla than he does anything else. And, uh, you know, um, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's something to behold. Like, a lot of people really, really hate it. And to be fair, Hammer's strong point was never really there. Um, makeup design, they all seem uh, very, very uh, theatrical and uh, um, very, very theatrical and, you know, you sort of see the fake in this one. Uh, it's really just a mask uh, being worn, but I think it's I think it's a I, I, I don't know. You know, it's just so blatant and uh, extreme that I sort of have fun with the look of this monster. Uh, you know, it might just be me being nuts and defending a uh, bad move, but whatever. I really like the look of that monster. Uh, you know, you, I could I judge it on how well imagined it is, and uh, it's fun looking, that's for sure. And of course he's, uh, which I haven't mentioned yet, is that he's played by uh, Dave Prouse, who, if that name sounds familiar, it should, because this is the first time that this dynamic duo uh, worked together, Peter Cushing and Dave Prouse. Peter Cushing famously was in uh, Star Wars as Grand Mouth Tarkin. That's a great performance by Cushing. Might, you know, be his most beloved out of all the films he ever did. And of course, Dave Prouse served as the um, served as the uh, uh, Darth Vader. <laughs> Can't believe that escaped me. But um, uh, this is the first time they worked together. And Dave Prouse, if you like, he's a perfect choice to play a Frankenstein monster. Uh, this isn't the first uh, picture that he played the monster in. He was in Horror Frankenstein. This is the only instance of continuity between the uh, films. Um, 
assuming that this is the same Frank, Dr. Frankenstein, and uh, Frankenstein must be destroyed, which is pretty, like, it might be my choice uh, for the, I don't know, uh, it might be my choice for the lesser entries in the series. It's really just about brain swapping, but Frankenstein presumably died in a fire in that one. I think uh, with that title, Must Be Destroyed, that it might have been intended for uh, the final entry of the character, but just, um, they explain that his hands are burnt and that uh, he can't, uh, um, he can't uh, perform surgery anymore. And so what he's been doing is having training Sarah to do the surgeries for him, which is really uh, uh, perfect. You know, it's sort of just, you know, the idea of it's sort of aesthetically terrifying an amateur surgeon. It would have been interesting to, uh, it would have been interesting to see it, um, but it probably just would have been a little too much. Uh, this moment is one where they, you could tell that this is, uh, oh, if you're watching this in America, that this is the R-rated version of the film. It's pretty much the only one that's been available right now. Uh, Britain recently just got a, uh, a uncut Blu-ray, which I'm really tremendously uh, jealous about. Um, I would love to see this film uncut. But uh, you see in that film, he's reattaching the hand to the monster. And uh, uh, you see there that uh, um, there's a sequence where they actually moved uh, the hand. And uh, I've watched like sort of uncut version from, uh, you know, the, I guess, Japan and Germany got an uncut version of the film before anyone else did. That's pretty gruesome. In fact, a large uh, part of this film is uh, just uh, Simon uh, performing surgery on the monster. And uh, just going above what I was saying earlier about, uh, you know, so maybe that this might be uh, gratuitous, but I think there's something to be said about it, you know. Uh, seeing these surgeries because, um, I don't know, it's, you know, sort of interesting that uh, you see the, this film go into uh, the uh, surgery because, you know, like I was saying, that it's such a huge part of the Frankenstein films and it's always been hinted and applied at but never quite shown to this extent and we'll see it later. This is a great moment where Helder says, uh, hopefully it will be he who sees, we'll see. Uh, and then uh, uh, Cushing uh, just sort of starts laughing, uh, almost, uh, you know, he's not quite manically, he's not like an evil mad scientist laugh that you might come to expect, but he's just sort of got that uh, quaint little laugh and... Uh, I think that is a great moment in the film. It's brilliant acting by Cushing because it really showcases the character. Um, really showcases the character. Because, you know, like by this point, like I was saying, he's sort of alone, you know, he's just, you know, he's sort of a sociopath, doesn't care about anyone but himself, this Dr. Frankenstein. 
and just sort of see him, you know, casually get into uh, his relationship with Dr. Helder, who's been the closest thing that he's had to a friend, and, you know, letting down uh, the intricacies of his character and trying to get into a almost human relationship. Because she plays that really, really well. And, like, that moment where he starts laughing, it might be one of the creepiest sort of bits in the film. One thing I'll say about Dave Prowse is the monster, he's had his pretty expressive eyes. Uh, this isn't a makeup he's wearing, it's a costume. A pretty extensive uh, mask that covers a lot of his face, but they leave his eyes, for the most part, pretty open. And I like the way that they frame it, like the makeup around eyes, it's really black. And uh, just the way he uh, opened them there, I think, was pretty interesting. Um, uh, the makeup, uh, like I was saying, it's never been a strong point of these Hammer films. Um, Evil of Frankenstein, I think, might have the worst makeup of any uh, Frankenstein film. Uh, they tried to mimic the Universal makeup, Jack Pierce, for that film. Uh, Universal finally uh, let them uh, let them uh, use the makeup for that film, and it just uh, it's just really plaster, and there's no ability for anyone under that makeup to act. Uh, the makeup uh, for this, uh, for the film preceding this, the Ralph Bates Frankenstein film, Horror Frankenstein, is pretty good too. Uh, it's better uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, better in terms of allowing Dave Prowse that it sort of looks similar to the Universal films. Here we're entering uh, sort of a point of conflict that's always happens in the in these. Uh, Frankenstein films where uh, Frankenstein needs a piece of the puzzle for his monster, but uh, you know, the fact is that uh, you know, unfortunately someone's alive, and so they have to uh, get a piece of the puzzle, they have to kill someone. And uh, you know, uh, Simon here is sort of blissfully ignorant of it. Oh, that's a horrific image there. He's still breathing under the violin strings there. Ugh. Um, but it's always been a piece. In fact, it's one of the most uh, shocking scenes in uh, The Curse of Frankenstein. It's a moment sort of very similar to that, where uh, Frankenstein wants to put the brain of a genius in uh, his monster. And uh, so he invites this old uh, crotchety professor to his house and brings him to the top of uh, the staircase and pushes him off. And I, I don't like the first time I saw The Curse of Frankenstein, that's a great moment because it really uh, shows you how different this monster is than any, or this doctor is, than, you know, compared to Colin Clive, because, you know, like you said, you like uh, 
Colin Clive's Frankenstein. He's not a bad uh, man. He's just sort of a dreamer who has this impossible, terrible dream, and he doesn't really want to do bad. And he's just sort of swept up with the, the Frankenstein, you know. I don't think, uh, you might say he's distinctly evil. Uh, in fact, he probably is, but it's hard not to like him because Lee is so, or not Lee, gosh, that's a cardinal sin, confusing those two, but Cushing is so, uh, you know, wit he's witty and he's, uh, like I say, he's so sincere that you, you like this doctor, even though he is morally questionable to say the least. Here we have uh, brain uh, surgery, which this is, uh, um, I don't know, you might say that this is gratuitous, and it probably is a fair grace. And that dummy that they built of Professor Durandell is so, so goofy. But, uh, you know, ugh, just sort of seeing this, uh, they, they really don't... Uh, don't um, hold back at all here. And this scene, um, you know, I know a lot of people don't like these moments to film, at least from what I've read from viewers and reactions, but I, I sort of do. And I'll explain why. I think uh, it's Cushing uh, that sells this. Um, you know, it's not overly. At least, uh, well, the scene's very theatrical and very over the top, but it's not from uh, Cushing's, uh, from a standpoint on uh, Cushing's uh, performance. Uh, he plays this uh, just like um, a teacher teaching his uh, student. And really all this is, is, um, I don't know, like, goofy, like not even horror movie B-science, but sort of just like theatrical anatomy lesson. And, uh, you know, just seeing Cushing deliver these lines, you know, he's like a teacher. It's just, I don't know, it's kind of fun and interesting. You know, it's just like, I don't know, obviously that stuff, you know, for a typical horror fan who's just in there for, uh, over-the-top monster and violence and gore, you know, that might be boring, but we have an actor like uh, Cushing, who's really, really into it. Um, it doesn't seem boring. It seems honest and sincere, and I'd even say entertaining. I mean, that's just... That's really the highest praise I think you can give an actor who makes uh, brain surgery uh, fun to look at. <laughs> Here we have um, Helder at first uh, start to uh, um, start to uh, question his hero. And uh, he's so into the uh, the brain that he uh, doesn't uh, look at the concerns that um, 
the concerns that Halder had, because obviously he stages this here for the professor to finally see what's going on with uh, the monster, and uh, or to see what's going on with uh, the, his uh, diagnosis paper, and so he kills himself. And uh, it's just, you know, it just, uh, this sort of moment, like I said, happens in pretty much all these Hammer Frankenstein films. And so, uh, I, I like the fact that Helder doesn't completely, uh, Betray the monster. He wants to uh, bring this experiment out to its uh, um, conclusion. <laughs> How fun is that? He's uh, sniffing his soup. Ah, kidneys. Oh, delicious. It just kind of shows you how detached from everything he is. All right, this moment is why I'll defend uh, the uh, um, the uh, these uh, long, drawn-out uh, surgery sequences, because this is genuinely uncomfortable uh, to watch, and it's largely because of. Uh, um, Prowse's performance there. You see him on that uh, uh, table there being poked and prodded at and they're removing his uh, brain and Cushing says they're cutting the spinal cord and he's breathing so heavily like he's up and aware in it. And that's like... And then you, they top it off with the old brain falling just like being chucked like a piece of trash. Uh, you know, that, that, I mean, presumably this has happened in a lot of Frankenstein films before this. And, uh, you know, it just, um, you forget it. You forget it because it just sort of happens off screen. It's just talked about, you never see it. But um, it really, I think, draws you to the monster to actually see it done. The fact that he's this overgrown uh, freak there and, you know, being poked and prodded at like an animal. It reminds you of the fact, well, it sort of, I don't want to say it reminds you of Karloff, but it reminds you of the fact uh, that the monster has never been in control of his own destiny. He's always been to the subject of these scientists and you know, that's really what the monster is about. And so it is sort of poetic, ironically, even though um, you know, obviously it's extreme. Uh, one moment that I don't want to uh, completely forget about, even though the monster is finally awakening at this point in the film. Uh, is the scene we just saw where Cushing uh, um, leaves, or Helder leaves the room and they're talking about uh, the monster powerfully uh, awake from his transplanted brain surgery, and they say 10 days, and they're all, uh, you know, you see Cushing uh, humble himself to say thank you. 
Uh, that's really an incredible um, small moment in the film because I think it uh, goes into the character you're up to this point. He's never humbled himself like that. And, uh, it's something new with the character. Like I said, you know, the introduction of Simon brings out nuances that we hadn't seen in Cushing before. This scene actually works because of uh, Prowse there. He has the perfect reaction. Like, they don't uh, do anything. Um, they don't do anything. You know, they don't... Uh, they don't... Um, they don't... Uh, make it too much, you know what I mean, by having him come to life and, you know, engage in the horror right away and start murdering people. All he, you see him come to life, look at himself in the mirror and realize that he's become a gorilla and all he can do is just sit there and cry and, uh, it's something that this moment is effective. Because there's a lot uh, sort of working against it, just that that costume was so uh, out there. And, you know, Dave Prowse, you know, some people might say that uh, he wasn't uh, much of an actor. And to be in that costume, uh, it, it works. And I like his voice, too. Like, the monster doesn't get a lot of dialogue in this film. Uh, but it's sort of a raspy voice that uh, the dialogue that he does get is delivered really well because it sort of uh, goes, um, sort of shows like the difficulties of the mechanics of this poorly stitched together body. One thing I'll say also that I like about this monster is his. Uh, hands that we saw were uh, brought um, from that uh, sculptor grafted onto the body. Um, they really uh, uh, sort of showcase the awkwardness of the character very well. Um, this costume, uh, you know, he's not a human, obviously, it's sort of a gorilla, and then uh, you almost see the plastic in there, like they, uh, they uh, really blow like the musculars out of proportion, and the hands seem very small and sort of almost, uh, I don't know, feminine in comparison. And they're dirty, very sleek and slender, and they really. Uh, he uses them pretty well, like these moments where he's looking at them. And there's a great moment in the end of the film where the hands like really explain the character so well. <laughs> this is another sort of uh, funny moment uh, that's like sort of the humor uh, about this character, but also some of the uh, scary moments has always been with this uh, Baron Frankenstein character. 
has always uh, sort of had a uh, um, egotistical streak, and you know, there's nothing he loves more than to have the uh, Helder uh, character um, stroke his ego like that. One thing I also uh, sort of think that Proust does pretty well and that the movie even addresses with some of its uh, lines is the fact that this, uh, this monster, you know, is pieced together and that all the pieces, uh, they're not uh, meshing. And, uh, you know, it makes sense that they would mesh. You know, there's so much asked here. Um, there's so much asked of the character, of the audience, uh, is what I mean, is that, you know, the idea that uh, Cushing thinks it's a great idea to put the brain of this master mathematician into this uh, uh, gorilla. Um, and so, you know, it obviously doesn't work together, and you see the monster complain about his hands and how the brain and his new... Uh, spinal, uh, or, you know, his new, uh, nervous system can't, uh, will, uh, quite grasp everything, and, um, you can see it in his hands, like, that they look, uh, out of place there, and that they look, um, uh, you know, he doesn't quite wear them with confidence there, and, uh, um, later, you'll see, the monsters doing the, the math problems there, and there's sort of a regression in uh, the character. And they're worried that the body isn't accepting the new brain. You need a Peter uh, Cushing to sell this in a way. You know, I mean, it, just like on face value, on paper, the idea of. Uh, this giant gorilla doing math problems at the behest of this uh, doctor is just, uh, you know, I, I, to be fair, it's sort of laughable. And, you know, I guess maybe some people did laugh at it. But, um, uh, but uh, you know, you have Cushing there, and he grounds it so well. Like, he is completely into it, so it's not humorous at all. There we, uh, there we saw what I was sort of trying to articulate there. You know, his hands sort of are shaking like that. And, you know, he walks very strangely, the monster, in this uh, film. It, you know, it sort of shows uh, how everything... Uh, just kind of shows how everything uh, works there, and you know, I sort of, ooh, I sort of think this is an interesting idea. What we're talking about here, what Dr. Frankenstein's talking about here—the idea that the monster decays and that everything will regress—I um, think that'd be an interesting idea to uh, start a Frankenstein film about.
here's a moment that um, the monster sort of finally does uh, get his. Uh, he start he starts to become malicious and villainous, and you don't really expect it. Um, uh, Sarah here is aligned uh, with the monster. And uh, I, th I think this is a moment that um, they've tried, that I think uh, the film, like, it suggests it, and they could, like, hints it up, and I'm glad that they uh, didn't go with it. Like, you'll see Frankenstein in a moment sort of go with it, but you see Simon kiss Sarah there, and the monster looks on, sort of... Uh, Jealous way, as if the monster uh, um, sees in Sarah, you know, and um, something that he wants to lust after, and that uh, could um, that is sort of done with the film there. Yeah, um, that is sort of a. Uh, hinted at uh, later on from Frankenstein, but I'm, uh, I'm glad that it really, what they want to do is uh, stick with uh, the original idea of the character, and that the angel is the salvation, and that they don't want any harm to come to her. I think it'll give the monster uh, whatever mythos that he has. Here's a great uh, sequence that, um, uh, fun little trivia bit. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, uh, Peter Cushing was so into this part that uh, he did that stunt in the film. And, you know, just seeing him, you know, like he doesn't look in the best of health in this film. But, uh, you know, even at, I think he's 59 or 60, he still has the gumption to uh, jump on Dave Prowse's back to perform that stunt. And it really gives, uh, you know, you really admire that. That gives the moment some authenticity. I wonder if they, how late they filmed that uh, in there. I mean, I wonder if they transition there because it seems real uh, Cushing's uh, exhaustion there. Here's something that I uh, sort of thought liked that the, uh, you know, idea of uh, body transplants that the brain could have been just like, you know, a kidney and that the body would have rejected it. That's always sort of uh, the excuse I was sort of kidding myself with, with uh, Igor, the ghost of Frankenstein when I was little, you know, my uh, uh, excuse for universe continuity that, you know, maybe the body rejected the brain of Igor and rejected, uh, regressed back to its uh, normal self. All right, here's what I uh, was bringing up a few scenes ago, where uh, Dr. Frankenstein, um, Dr. Frankenstein uh, brings up the idea that the way to save the monster 
and this experiment is to have him uh, mate with uh, Sarah and um, uh, he wants to uh, mate them together <laughs> I like this moment here where uh, Simon says I think you're bad and you know it's a moment that's you know he said has happened all before and all uh, Peter Cushing can do is just sort of shrug it off and just say possibly but you cannot divorce science from humanity to that extent and I love uh, Cushing's reaction to this you know all he can do is uh, you know just sort of like it's the least passionate reaction because you know he's heard it so many times it feels real you know in terms of examining the film this character as a series and this is interesting in terms of their uh, relationship and what you expect uh, from Frankenstein. You know, we've revealed that the whole thing has sort of become, that the whole thing has sort of, uh, uh, um, you know, like the whole uh, concept of the film of uh, Frankenstein, the doctor, uh, like you were introduced to him earlier, you think he's sort of a good guy, he's on level, maybe he, uh, um, he's finally found that humanity, and all it has been is him blackmailing the, uh, um, blackmailing the head of the asylum into letting him do whatever he wants with the patients for his experiments. It's just really the character really playing up as he's been before, this amoral man. But I think they frame it well in terms of Dr. Helder. Um, you know, it's kind of an interesting aspect of the story. You see Helder with his hero. And, uh, you know, even though he is willing to uh, sort of tempt himself and delude himself, you know, and even he, you know, gives in to the doctor's plan to put Durandell brain in there. But, you know, just seeing this hero uh, sort of in this light is kind of interesting. I think uh, Shane Bryan plays it pretty well, actually, because of, um, because, uh, you know, just the way he wears his face there, you know, how sad he looks and, you know, um, the scene with the monster he has is pretty good because um, he wants to kill the monster here because he's so guilt-ridden and uh, I don't know um, I like his reactions to the monster at this point because it really reminds you of one aspect of the Frankenstein uh, story you know like when the creator looks at his creation and you know, just um, how horrible it is, and, you know, never thinking what it would have been like before. And that's what separates it from Frankenstein, and, uh, because, you know, Frankenstein just sees every one of his creations in this series as a piece of, uh, you know, just a piece of material stitched together just to see how it worked out. And, you know, by this point, uh, Helder realizes what he's done is wrong. 
and uh, just the way he's gotten to this point, I think he's been, uh, he's been satisfying. Here we have the one moment uh, in the picture where it just sort of comes out of nowhere. And um, it comes out of nowhere, and it, it works, I think. Uh, you see Sarah finally uh, talk, and it just, uh, I think it speaks to Madeline Smith's performance there, you know, how into the beautiful she was, and you know, how present she was, and just seeing her talk is kind of powerful, because, you know, by this point in the film, uh, it's become all about her, and uh, how Simon wants to protect her, and um, ironically, I think she's pretty, uh, a, um, a pretty strong female character, maybe the strongest one Hammer has ever had, because the film starts off, uh, you know, with her sort of as a prop, and they talk about her, you know, gets to the point where Frankenstein is so terrible of and just, you know, just using her as a piece of his experiment and seeing her, you know, finally get the strength to talk and, you know, she takes charge in that scene with uh, Helder and, you know, all he can say is, oh, you spoke with when she uh, gets uh, him to, uh, you know, finally solve this monster problem. And um, that's why I like the arc of that character. Uh, um, you know, you could sort of conceivably see with what Hammer had done um, that maybe they would have had her mate with the monster. Like, I, I don't know. Like, it would have been a horrible scene. I think it would have ruined uh, this film. But the fact that uh, um, they don't do it, I think, is pretty. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> you know, they don't go for the uh, you know extreme horrific moment, even though uh, it would sort of play into. Uh, pushing the envelope, it certainly would have pushed it, but, uh, um, by having them not do it, by having, uh, Sarah get out of her regressive state, I, I you know, I, I, it just is satisfying as a fan of this movie, and, you know, just seeing how these female characters are just, uh, depicted, I think it's a satisfying conclusion with the character, and she does a great job in performing her Madeline Smith. Here we have Adolf Klaus after the film, he's like, oh, we need to get a little drinky. <laughs> he's, uh, <laughs> wants to take, um, her, uh, his little date there to see all the lunatics because their antics are very droll. <laughs> It reminds you of um, the stories of Bedlam Asylum, how they would uh, uh, um, 
charge people at mission like a zoo to see the lunatics and laugh at them. In fact, Karloff made a film with Val Luton about that, which um, uh, uh, sort of starts off as uh, under the guise of it being a uh, horror film, but it actually is really more of a sort of a political thriller in some ways about this uh, young woman standing up to Karloff and his uh, mistreatment of the patients there, and, you know. Uh, this film sort of feels like a more extreme and sort of almost cartoony uh, uh, version of that story in some ways, true. In some ways, too, you have the bad guy, Adolf Klaus, and the Baron, you know, mistreat the patients around the asylum. Eventually, uh, the monster and the lunatics come to uh, set things right. <laughs> He's still taking his little drinkies there with the monster behind the uh, curtain. <laughs> Here we have probably the goriest uh, death that Hammer uh, ever did. Yeah, it's satisfying to see this guy get his cabuffins. Uh, the only thing I'll say is that you see this scene, you think it's gonna be really, really like he'll slam it into that guy's face. Instead, it's just sort of short and quick, and then the blood spurts out like almost too much for the amount of force that he did there. But you know, it's always satisfying to see how. Uh, horror character like that who, you know, as soon as uh, that Dr. Klaus walked into the picture, he wanted to see him get uh, what he, what was coming for him. The monster here, uh, this is an unsatisfying uh, conclusion for him in terms of how he uh, dies there. Uh, it just takes two gunshots to kill him. But this moment, I really, really love, and it completes what I was saying about building up this character of Angel, you know, being this strong female character who really, uh, you know, that the lunatics see as a sign of hope, and uh, Prouse's hands there, like I was saying, he wears them very well, and uh, she goes up to him, and he feels her hair, you know, uh, you know, just saying that he loved and cared about her. It really is sort of a touching moment there. And it, uh, the lunatics all burst in and uh, rip the monster to shreds in sort of a sacrilegious, sort of sacrilegious, not sacrilegious, Homer Simpson. <laughs> a sacrilegious sort of uh, moment that reminds you of a communion in some ways. You know, obviously there's a lot of uh, moments that, uh, uh, about the Frankenstein myths that reminds you of Jesus Christ, but you know, this one blatantly doesn't, it's sort of fun. Here we have uh, the ending of the picture, and I love this. It has uh, Cushing re-enter there, you know, the monster could have killed him. He just slashes his arm and uh, 
He says, go back to your room. He says, nothing more to see. It's all over now. And uh, all over. And it, um, in some ways, you uh, sort of get the feeling that uh, he's talking about Hammer itself. And, you know, just the fact that the freak show's over and that um, this classic rage of horror films is over that, you know, it ended in this huge moment. And, you know, like, they could have killed off Dr. Frankenstein. They could have even ended it here. But this is even better because, you know... Um, uh, they don't uh, have the monsters die, or not the monster Baron Frankenstein die in a moment that uh, uh, um, that, that they don't have the monster die non-satisfactorily. You get the feeling that uh, Dr. Frankenstein will just continue this until the end of time. And uh, he just uh, uh, sweeps up his laboratory there. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of satisfying, I think, um, because it reminds you, uh, you know, just, um, I don't know, like seeing how they've killed off the monsters before. Just the fact that Dr. Frankenstein uh, is going to be at it again and again. You know, it's sort of fun, and it um, warms your heart in <laughs> odd sort of way. But, uh, of course, this film was the end of Hammer. I don't know if they intended to uh, keep uh, the series going, but the film was a huge box office failure, and... Uh, Oh, it just came, I mean, it came out the same year as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Exorcist. In fact, it's the 40th anniversary of the film, and so, um, really, it was time for a new era of horror films, but I think, uh, they went out, gothic horror and hammer horror went out on a high point, and, uh, this is an entertaining film to all ends, and Peter Cushing is outstanding in it. And um, I really hope you guys enjoyed it. It was fun discussing Hammer with you. And, you know, discussing this film, which I hope I was able to articulate why I liked this uh, seldom-liked film quite a bit. Uh, and, um, of course, I think it's a great film to watch on Halloween, and I hope you guys do, and hopefully with my commentary. But um, until next time, I hope you guys enjoyed this film. And um, there's one more Universal Frankenstein film. If you've been following me, you know which one it is. And uh, I really hope I'm able to deliver a good commentary for that one. And until then, we'll see you and enjoy.